0: But I think God has more than what our original plans were. See, what he starts, he finishes. And so we're excited to build into the
1: next step of what God is doing here. I mean, what would it be like if thousands of Jennifers could be in a place where they could find a vision for their lives, discover God's calling for their lives, and then get trained and equipped in that, get sent out? We believe that God has great things in store for this country, but the work's not finished. We need partnership with people
0: like you to be able to move forward, to progress towards finishing the work. Thank you for partnering with us.
1: Come on church, you may have a seat. My name is Evan, I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm really glad that you are worshiping with us this morning. A few announcements to go through. The first one is Hot Topics is back tonight, 7 p.m. Excited. You look awake and ready to go, right, Luke? So join us tonight, 7 p.m. We'll be right across the way um, where we discuss some of the finer points of theology, some of the things that we might not all agree about, or that there might be a variety of different orthodox viewpoints on, and so we are looking at the scriptures and seeing, what does the Bible say about these hot topics? And so join us, 7 p.m. tonight, right across the room there for that. Um, also, a uh, huge thanks to all of you who helped out at the uh, Halawasa Workday yesterday. I know uh, I myself am still feeling pretty sore. Uh, Chris and I were on chainsaw duty yesterday, cutting down basically an entire forest. And then we had all the gang, like the Barclays and Tim and Mandy and The Lipperts just stacking wood and doing all that stuff. You should have seen Micah. He is a door-hanging pro now. So if you ever need um, a door straightened or leveled or if you have any drafty doors in your house, let Micah know, and he'll be on it. Uh, We left him alone for a little bit, and then we came back. He's working on sheetrock, just covered in white dust. So great job, everyone, for all the work that you've done there and that you did. We will probably be having more of those work days coming up before the summer, before kids return to camp at Camp Halawasa this summer, and so pay attention for those dates because there's plenty more work to be done in that place, so keep your ears open uh, for when that will be, and we will do some more work there. Um, also coming up in March, we know, is Mission Mexico. After two years of not being able to go to Mexico, we're going back. We're taking a trip. We're taking a team down to Mexico um, to work with um, some of the local pastors there by putting on a pastors retreat. Um, for pastors all around the state there who are gonna come and be able to take a week off um, to have a retreat, to be refreshed and refilled. And so with that, lots of kids are gonna come with them. So we'll be putting on some kids ministry, um, some VBS type things, a sports camp, which we don't know what exactly that means. We just know sports camp. So two things that everybody loves. So we'll be putting that on and working with that. If you are interested in Mission Mexico, next week after church, we're gonna have a meeting about it. So if you are interested in going to Mission Mexico if you're interested in supporting or if you have ever been before I want you to stay after church next week for a meeting um, so that we're going to give some details and we're going to give some of the specifics and we're going to basically begin um, to put together that team so after church next week hang out for a Mission Mexico team meeting Um, over the last few weeks we've had a few clipboards bouncing around one of them is the wraparound team clipboard that has been Uh, bouncing around that a lot of you have signed up on to provide some care for families who are fostering children um, or adopting children and so thanks to those of you who have signed up on that we're going to be planning a meeting coming up soon to do some training on what exactly that's going to mean and then you might also notice there's another clipboard that winter has here so this is going Yep, she has there and she's obviously signing up and writing her name and phone number on it right thanks thanks for uh, showing us how that's done winter Um, But this clipboard here is for the Common Ground Construction crew. Um, We have noticed that there are a lot of people very talented and very handy with a lot of different skills and abilities to repair homes, fix homes, maybe even build homes. And so we're gathering all of you together onto a team so that when needs arise in our community, in our church community, or even maybe in the neighborhood and around, that we have a team of people that we are able to go to and reach out to who can help with some of these projects. Um, So recently, last month, Uh, We had a member in our church who uh, was in a wheelchair suddenly and needed better access to their front door. They needed a deck built on the front of their house. And so guys like Alex, um, Chris, Jake, uh, Ted rallied around, showed up at the house, and built a deck um, so that they could get in and out of their house. So when random little projects, and we're laughing because it wasn't the easiest, smoothest thing. Jamin was there too. Um, But when those little projects come up, we want to be able to have a team that we can reach out to and be able to help with that. One of the upcoming projects that we know is already a need is that Ted is currently building a shower trailer. I know we talked about this in the past, that Ted has a camper trailer that he's going to outfit as a shower trailer for homeless people in Rapid City. And so right now, it's just a shell. Um, There's a lot of work to be done in there. And so sign up on here so that you can know when we're gonna be working on that, if you've got any plumbing, electrical, or if you can swing a sledgehammer. Uh, sign up on there and one of the first things that we'll be doing is outfitting this trailer um, with three showers on there so that we can drive it around town and provide just this easy basic need of a shower Um, but it's gonna take some work so sign up on there and join the construction crew so that we can get some of those things done so looking forward to that if you need any more information on that sort of thing on the upcoming events in this place Always remember, um, go to the Common Ground website, commongroundchurchcma.org. There's an events updates page there. There's also a calendar that has all that information. And then obviously look up things on all of our social media and we try to keep communication pretty much on there. Sound good? All right. You guys remember all that stuff? Sweet. So with that, I'm going to invite you to your feet and to enter into what we call here awkward social interaction time. So feel free to greet someone around you. (laughs) mm <laughs>
2: Continue to follow you till our last breath. Because we know, Jesus, that you are our reward and that you're enough. You're always enough. You're everything that we need. And we put aside the things of this world in recognition of your holy salvation. And it is our drive, it's our desperate belonging, our want to serve you, Jesus. So we'll continue to follow you. We've decided there's no turning back. Pray this in your holy name. Amen. Common Ground, you may have a seat. At this time, we um, give of ourselves, we give of our tithes, and we give of our offerings. And so, if you look up on our screens, we have three ways to give here at Common Ground. Um, The easiest way is to just give in person. We do have a giving box in the back corner if you are are wanting to give today in person. Otherwise, we have online giving options as well, Um, so feel free to use those if that's on your heart this morning. Um, This next song that we're going to sing is called Spirit of God, and I selected this song intentionally. Um, For those of you that were at the annual meeting, you probably heard that I'm officially going to be stepping down as the worship leader here at Common Ground, which is an exciting and kind of scary thing. Um, Just so you guys know, I'm not going anywhere. Um, I've just accepted other nursing opportunities, which are going to kind of move me away from being able to do those duties fully. So I will be serving as a volunteer, and I'm really excited to do that. So I'm not going anywhere. It's not going to be like this big, like, we're leaving the church. No, we're still part of the Common Ground family. So that's really exciting. And yeah, we love you guys so much. So... Um, with that, I wanted us all to sing this song, Spirit of God, because there's a really awesome line in the interlude that says, just a continual saying of, have your way, Lord, have your way, have your way, and that's a prayer that we've been praying over our lives, because we truly just want God to have his way, and we feel that this life transition is God having his way. He's moving, and he's opening these doors, and we're just trying to be faithful to his plan. So, I encourage you guys as we sing these words and as we continually sing, Have Your Way, Lord, if you're going through a big decision in your life or if you've got something going on that you just need clarity on, I just encourage you guys to just really open up your hearts and your ears and your eyes to fix them on the Lord as we sing. So, with that, let's worship.
3: Okay, I'm here now. I, I couldn't find your podium. It didn't have the tinsel on it. <laughs> hey, welcome everybody. My name is Nick. I'm on staff here with uh, Evan and Matt. Matt. <laughs> I love you, Matt. Um, thanks for leading us into worship. And now we step into this time something that we started about four or five years ago. Previous pastor was one of these guys that really liked making people uncomfortable and uh he thought that we should incorporate a time in our worship service uh, right in you know it's still part of the worship and but it's kind of between the time of singing and then um, stepping into God's Word and prayer. And that was kind of a time to really prepare our hearts to be a people together, to receive God's Word together. So we commonly call this our prayer time because that's what we do. We pray. But it's really much more. It was really uh, engineered or set up for us to be able to be a group of people following Christ who pray together, um, who rejoice together, who grieve together, um, and who encourage one another together. And uh, so uh, one of the things that Brian, our former pastor, used to say is, I'm not a magic prayer genie. We all pray together, and uh, uh, we're just up here to kind of help lead and incorporate that. So I'm here to encourage you, Common Ground, to pray, to be a people of prayer, uh, to pray with one another, pray for one another, but also to be a people that weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, and uh, to just speak encouragement into the lives of others. And this is our opportunity to do that. So you can share a prayer request, you can share a praise report, you can say something that you think is encouraging, uh, could be encouraging for a brother or sister in Christ uh, to hear. So Evan's gonna be running around with a microphone. This is what we're gonna ask you to do because uh, right now I'm the only one on camera but we do have a live stream going. Uh, so when you share the people in live stream, probably they're just going to hear a disembodied voice. Uh, so if you would just say your name, uh, so that they kind of have an idea uh, who's talking and, uh, and that will help us out a little bit. So who would like to get us started Uh well, No, I'm going to start. I'm going to start. Okay. Uh, I have books. I was not here for the Uh, annual meeting because I was recovering from influenza A at that time and still contagious. But I have free books. I have about 18 copies. One book is about the character of Christ and his heart for people, which is really a good book for us to learn more about him, but also to learn to be like him. And the other book is about the valuable thing that we have called church, this body. And uh, it's kind of a call back to recognize how important the body of christ is to one another i've got about 18 copies and they're free uh the only thing i ask is that uh if you take one pass it on uh when you're done reading it share it with somebody else so it kind of circulates around through the church okay all right so i'm going to encourage you to read too all right now who would like to get us going luke
2: hello everyone
0: um i'm luke first of all great to be back after christmas break um But so I have a friend who lost a friend, like one of their best friends to cancer and then their grandpa to covid complications, I guess, in like the space of a week or two weeks. And so that's just been really hard on them. So prayers for them, I guess.
3: Okay, thanks, Luke. Definitely will be praying for that. Hey, I'm Alex, and I've recently had
4: some people put into my life who need the gospel, and so prayers that God opens their hearts and uses me to help guide them towards Him.
0: Hello, my name is Joey. Uh, I want to pray for both mine and Lindsay's family couple things. One is that um, her parents uh, this week are going to be going for another deployment to Abu Dhabi. Uh, So it is, oddly enough, uh, they're anticipating it will be more restful than um, more uh, stressful. So I just pray for that for them, but also just that in that time it would be good for them. Um, Also for her grandma, who is currently in the process of, uh, after having lived on the same Property for 50 plus years, which she built with her uh, now deceased husband, uh, is probably going to be moving uh, to like a nursing home. So just pray for her in that because it's a really uh, tough transition mentally, and um, it'll be better for her because she's really just in need of a lot of help and she's like out in the middle of nowhere with not a lot of people to take care of her. But um, so just pray for that. Um, and then I also want to offer praise. Um, Just for family, generally. Um, I had the opportunity to talk with my brother yesterday. And um, with his first year of college happening right now, uh, when we talked, I wasn't even thinking about it. But he was just like, hey, Joey, can we pray together? And I was like, oh, Michael. Yes, absolutely. I'd love to pray with you. So just like praise God for what he's doing in in my family's life and his life in particular. Cool,
3: cool. If you want to make Joey happy, just ask to pray with them. Yeah, he's, he loves that all right anything else you know Matt mentioned that uh, he's going to be stepping into a different role nursing and stepping down so there's transition that's going to be happening there so let's let's as a body of believers just gather around matt and cat too and pray for them as they as they step into this time of change and uh, obedience to God because that's really what matt's doing there and this is what I know. Anytime God calls us to be obedient, he's calling us out of what we're comfortable with. And so challenges and growth will often accompany that.
0: Okay. Hello, my name's Kyle. Um, over break, um, my girlfriend and her family uh, in their house has been struggling with a lot of things. Um, and the attendants the weren't doing anything about it um and recently they've had to move out due to black mold in their house um so prayers that they can find an apartment that will work for them in a very expensive place which is fort collins and then prayers for um just that whole situation with them going after them legally
2: so
3: As we prepare to uh, pray together, I, I want to bring a scripture to mind. It's Romans 8.28 and uh, ask ourselves this question, do we really believe this verse? Uh, Romans 8.28 says that we know that God works all things, not just some things, all things together for our good, for those uh, who love God and called according to his purpose. Now, that's an easy verse to memorize and an easy one to quote, but sometimes a hard one to believe. Every single element of our life, God is at work, and sometimes those elements can be very difficult, painful elements. And so one thing that a person who follows Jesus Christ becomes is a person who welcomes adversity. I mean, we don't go looking for it. That's dumb. Uh, But when it comes... (laughs) The question is, do we welcome it, knowing that God's using this somehow in our lives for our good? You see, we're a people of faith. We may not see the good that God is doing. We may not understand the timing of when God's doing stuff, but God is doing stuff, okay? Now, I say that with a little bit of confession. I've been sick for a long time, and I'm tired of it. And I entered into uh, whiny baby man mode uh, last week. And yesterday I wanted to come down to the work day and had to turn around because my body was telling me, don't do this kind of thing. And, I, and I, I got really upset and I got really mad, really angry. And uh, truth be told, angry at God probably. And then I, I wondered, do I believe that verse? Do I believe Romans 8:28? 28? Uh, so that, that was a time of God, you know, we're talking about listening to him. I think that was a time of God speaking to me and call, challenging me with that. And so um, I want to share that with my brothers and sisters here that as we pray, um, we're praying about some tough stuff that we pray with an attitude of faith that says, God, I believe that as tough as this thing is, you're going to do something and you're going to glorify yourself in that, all right? So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, we thank you for this day. We thank you for a day set aside out of the entire week where we can kind of drop everything and uh, pick up your word and uh, gather with uh, people uh, where we have, well, common ground. I guess that's why we call this place uh, what we call it. Uh, common ground in our faith in you. Lord, there's a lot of things that could divide us and separate us, but you call us to unity in faith in Jesus Christ. And as you do that, you call us Lord to be a people that uh, encourage one another, loves one another, serves one another, prays with one another. And Lord, we thank you for that opportunity to do that because this world needs more and more of that. So Lord, as we come to you today, we we come thanking you in each and every circumstance because that's what Paul tells us to do in Philippians. And, uh, and James reminds us to count it joy uh, with any trial that might enter into our life. It's hard to do that, God, but we're going to trust you. And we're going to trust that even when things look like they're just falling apart and not working out, um, that, God, you are doing something unseen. Uh, and you're doing something that's going to result in an amazing thing. Lord, we've experienced that enough times, so we know that you're doing it now, too. So with that in mind, uh, we bring these things before you. Uh, Lord, thank you for uh, Matt and Kat. Thank you for what they contribute to our family here at Common Ground. And as uh, as they together step into this time of change, a new role in Matt's life, it's probably going to involve change in in Kat's work and, and things as well. Um, We just ask, God, that you will lead them and guide them in that just as you have been and that you will continue to do that. And when it gets challenging, that, Lord, they will know they have a family of believers here uh, to stand with them and to go with them in whatever comes their way. So bless them as they seek to follow you. Um, Lord, we pray for uh, Luke, specifically Luke's friend who's grieving right now. And, uh, Lord, this has, been a, this has been a rough haul. Sickness has taken its toll on a lot of people, and it's taken the extreme toll. And, Lord, we, we're, we're losing people that we care about. And so we just ask, God, that you would do what no one else can do in this world, and that's to come to one whose heart is broken with grief and to bring comfort and, and to draw near to them and to just remind them, Lord, that you're there, that you love them, and that you care for them. Lord, as Alex has had the opportunity to, um, to engage with people, his desire is to somehow bring, bring Christ into that engagement. And, Lord, we all have that opportunity if our hearts and our eyes and our ears are open to it. Uh, so we pray for all of us, Lord, that uh, we would step into that, lean into that, and that, God, uh, you would do what we cannot do. And that's just work in their hearts uh, to help them to be open and receptive to who you are and how much you love them and everything that you've done for them uh, to bring forgiveness of sins and and a brand new life, a a fresh slate, a clean start. And uh, so, God, we just pray that you would give Alex the ability to communicate that to them and that you would give them the ability to hear and receive your spirit as, as they have these conversations. And Lord, Joey, reminds us how we need to be grateful for our family, especially uh, family members who are believers and walk with faith along with us. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless our families and work in our families' lives and just do amazing things. Um, as they have parents that are stepping into, uh, uh, going into another part of this world, that, Lord, you would be with them in that and that you would just make that place a welcoming place for them that they would just settle in and that you would build uh, relationships around them that would just be amazing and Christ-centered. And, Lord, we we lift up Lindsay's grandma and what a tough time that is. Um, Man, a place that she's basically built up from the ground and then having to leave it where she's going to be dependent on other people. Uh, Lord, another tough transition. But Lord, you're the one who takes us through change. And we pray that you will do that for Lindsay's grandma. You'll give her the care that she needs. And again, with that, um, just the the vital relationships of people that love her, care for her, support her, and uh, will encourage her in these days of her life. And Lord, Kyle uh, has mentioned his girlfriend and their family who are facing just a Man, a really challenging time right now. Uh, Lord, we pray, first of all, that you'd protect their health. Um, black mold's not a thing to be messed with. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, preserve them and keep them strong and healthy and that you will lead them into an environment where uh, it'll be safer for them and affordable for them. So, God, just provide for them in a, in a miraculous way and also help them through the, the, the other issues that are going to have to be dealt with because of this. Uh, Lord, this is tough and it's hard, uh, but um, you're bigger than all these things and all these situations. And so we just pray, Lord, that you'll show yourself mighty. And finally, Lord, just thank you for this body of believers here. Uh, thank you for, uh, that, that we have one another here. Um, and Lord, you call us into a place, a gathering like this, where we can be comforted uh, together by your word and by your presence But, Lord, this is also a place where you don't mean for us to get comfortable, uh, but to continue to walk after you and to step out into obedience. So as we go into your word today, uh, we pray, God, that you would open our ears, our eyes, our hearts to your spirit's voice and that you would speak to us, that we would hear you clearly. And, Lord, where you're calling us to be obedient, um, that we would embrace that, even if it might mean hardship. Uh, that we would trust you to know that you are doing a good thing in our life as you do that. So now, Lord, we pray, rest mightily upon uh, Evan, and uh, as as he uh, brings your word to us, God, may the words he speaks to us be the words of your spirit um, penetrating deep into our hearts so that we hear the things that we need to hear so that we can be the people that you, uh, that you died on a cross for us to become. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Well, hey, we are in our third week um, in a series on the book of Hebrews today, and so we have reached Hebrews chapter 2, as we're doing a bit of a slow walk through this, Um, and we won't cover too much ground in the book today, um, because as we're going to see at the start of Hebrews chapter 2, there's pretty important, pretty heavy concept um, to really stop on and to pause and to chew on and to think on and to reflect on. And so that's where we will be today is the very beginning of the book of Hebrews. Uh, But before we get there, I just want to ask, what is your preferred method of building a campfire? What is your, uh, what's your favorite method? Do you prefer the log cabin where you make like the little squares and you line them up? Do you do the lean-to? Chris, what is your method? Is it Dousing it with gasoline and just watching it explode, okay. Okay, so there are a few different methods. That's an easy one. That's always a good one. Um, But what you'll notice is regardless of your method um, for getting it going, is that any way you build the fire, you are going to have to continue to feed the fire and to tend the fire. And after a while, you'll have to kind of move the logs around, the wood around. You'll have to kind of move the embers around. And there will be times when you can kind of sit back and relax and just kind of enjoy the warmth. Um, But if you do nothing but just sit back and relax, eventually all you're going to get is smoke and ashes, right? You have to continually tend to that fire. That's going to be kind of the the image or the description that we're going to see in Hebrews chapter 2 today. Um, Or I guess to put it another way, um, if you know me very well at all, then you'll know that Lena and I, we're really just like ocean people. We're in love with the ocean, with the beach. Um, We grew up with my parents having a house on the Oregon coast where we spent a lot of time. And one of our favorite things to do there on the coast was to take a little trip across the bay where my parents' house was and to go to what I would say is the best beach on the entire west coast, bar none. But the complicated thing about this beach is that it's on the end of a really long peninsula or a little spit where the only way to get onto that spit is through a gated neighborhood, and we don't have the password to the gated neighborhood. Um, So for peasants like me, I have to basically walk six miles or ride a bike six miles to get to this beach, or with where the house is, and we have a picture here, um, we can cross a bay to get to it. And so it's only like a little half-mile paddle across this bay to get to what is the best beach on the entire West Coast right there you'll never see anyone else on there because either you live on that little spit where there are just a few houses, or you have to cross the water. And very few people will cross this water because this is mostly a big tidal bay where you have these mixed tides where twice a day you're going to have a really high tide, and then you're going to have a really low tide, and then you're going to have a semi-high tide and a semi-low tide. And there's also a river going through it, and the river will suck you out to sea if you're not pedaling hard. And on the Oregon coast, it's always windy, and so you're always fighting wind. And so, even though that's just about a half mile paddle across there in a kayak, typically it would be a lot of work um, to get across there. Uh, there were a few times when like, the weather would cooperate, and if we were going with the tide and with the r- w- river, and what we would consider as a not windy day would be like less than 20 mile an hour winds on that day. And so if there wasn't very strong winds, then you could just zip right over and it'd be easy. But most of the time, there was always something kind of pushing against us. There's always the current pushing against us. There was always the tide pushing against us. One of the things that we would do is we would often have to fight the incoming tide to get over to the beach. We would hang out, play on the beach, have a fire, watch the sunset. And then we would have to paddle back to the house. And at that point, the tide has now switched. And so whichever way we're going, we're always seeming to fight the tides. And what this really reminds me of is this warning in hebrews chapter 2 here that essentially when it comes to following jesus just like tending to a fire and having to continue um to tend to the fire of our faith and just like trying to cross this bay and get over to the other side it's like we live in an ocean where the tide is always pushing us away from jesus and it's our faith is such a way that we have to continually feed it to keep it going and this is going to be the warning today, that we have to continually pay attention to the gospel or pay closer attention. Um, that the world we live in, human nature, requires this. Um, and we know um, that the Christian life is a journey, right? That's one of the like most commonly described ways of, of following God in the Bible, is it's a journey. And it's a journey where there really is a narrow gate and a narrow path on it, there are to reach God, but there or to follow God, but there are an infinite amount of ways in which we can get off track. Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, he said, "Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. But for the for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few." And so, when it comes to following Jesus and to seeking after God what we recognize is that it's very similar to the situation on the bay where just about every force seemingly is against us pushing in the opposite direction. And the writer to the Hebrews here is going to tell us, in order to to fight this tide, in order to continue to preserve the flames of your faith, pay closer attention to the gospel. Pay even closer attention You probably are close to Christ, but you can be closer still. Okay, so if you found your way to Hebrews chapter 2, um, let's go ahead and read it, starting in verse 1. We'll just read to verse 4. So Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a, ret- a just retribution, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witnesses by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Okay, so that's the section that we're going to focus on today. Just a simple four verses. And we notice, of course, it begins with the word, therefore, Um, And unless you wear a top hat and a monocle, you probably do not start sentences with therefore, right? That's kind of strange. It wouldn't make very much sense. Um, But what he's pointing out is that this isn't the start of a sentence here, that everything that has been said leading up to this point from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, up until now, was leading up to this. And so that's essentially what he's explaining. He's saying, you know, all that we've talked about in the last two weeks with, you know, how Jesus... Um, is the, the Son of God. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact representation, and he's better than angels. All of this, in light of all that, therefore, here's your application point. Here is what to do about that. And what he says is that in light of all this, in light of who Jesus is and how much better he is than angels and how he's in this category all of his own, therefore, we must pay closer attention to the message or else we will drift away from it. And what the author of Hebrews is really reminding us here is that there is no passive pursuit of Jesus. Right? There is no passive pursuit. That essentially you live in an ocean where there are tides and things are moving, and you're either moving closer to him or further away from him. And you see, the instruction here isn't just pay close attention, but what does it say? Closer right? Closer attention. It's not just enough to bank on what you already know, uh, what you have already done, uh, how you have already um, pursued him. Um, pay closer attention. And it's a reminder that Jesus is not just an idea we master and we figure out and then we say, okay, great. Now we don't have to think about him or learn about him or spend any time with him ever again, right? No. But Jesus is our living Lord. He's a person, and we're called to continually pay closer attention to him. There's, there's this action, there's this effort that essentially needs to take place. That paying closer attention is going to require action. And inaction is actually what leads to drifting, as he says here, right? This passivity, this sitting back, um, parking our faith in neutral, and just hanging out, doesn't actually work. If you live in the ocean, right? You will float and drift away. That it's essentially guaranteed. Pay closer attention. There's no passive pursuit of Jesus. And, and he's reminding us um, that this is why practicing our faith, of living out our faith is so important, right? That it matters. That it matters that we are continually reading the Bible, that we're paying closer attention to the scriptures, that we are living out this path that Jesus has set for us. That we're continually being shaped by him. Because no matter what, we know that we are being shaped. We're being shaped by all the things around us, um, by the people we know, by the culture that we're in. And so this call to pay closer attention is a call to continually be shaped, not by all these other factors, but by Jesus himself. That we have to be aware of this drift. And now I know that, you know, we're pretty adamant today on really protecting ourselves from, from works-based faith and from putting too much effort in, and that's good because we do understand that we're saved by grace, but sometimes I think that we put so much emphasis on that, we swing, swing the pendulum so far to say like, well, you know, I'm saved by grace, so it's okay, that we forget that we also do have a responsibility to play, and that once we're saved by grace, now we're followers of Christ, right? And that there is a part for us to play in God's redemptive story, right? Life isn't over right at salvation, And when you read through the Bible, you just can't avoid the fact that over and over in Scripture, there are all these different passages that remind us to run the race, to strive to enter into the rest, to hold fast to the gospel, to look to Jesus, to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit. There's call after call to be aware of and to do our part. To do our part. You see, salvation, um, it's not the finish line, so to speak, right? If we lean into that, um, that metaphor that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 7, he says that he's the gate, and you walk through the gate, and now you're on the path of following him, right? And so there's the gate where you're saved, you're a follower of Jesus, but now you're still walking on this path. You're walking out your faith. And it's that old cliche that, I'm probably really tired of hearing, but it's such a good reminder that, okay, well, we are human becomings, not human beings, right? You heard that one? You're not a human being. You're a human becoming. You're becoming like Jesus, right? That there's this constant need to pay closer attention to the gospel, to pay closer attention to Jesus, to actually spend time with him, to never stop living the south. Because the reality is that we all find times in our lives when we will drift. We will all have these seasons where we come to a place where the drift begins to happen. And some of us might be in this right now. Some of us might feel like we're in a season of drifting away from Jesus. And so to lean into this metaphor, um, I just want to look at a few different definitions of drifting that the author of Hebrews is really going into here. Because I think when we stop and consider this, this powerful warning, I think it's a really encouraging thing for us and a really awakening moment for us to be able to consider the dangers of this drift and how important it is for us to pay attention to the gospel. And so first, drifting. Okay, simple definition. To drift is to move in a slow, smooth, gentle, and unforced way, usually without any direction or purpose. And so I would really consider that drifting, oftentimes, especially drifting in our faith, typically comes from a place of Apathy or complacency, or just what the author of Hebrews will go into later is neglect almost, like forgetting about. And this aspect of drifting is really what makes it so dangerous, I would say. Um, The fact that it is slow, it is gradual. It's not necessarily scary. It's not like just being sucked out to sea. It's this slow, gradual thing. Because it's not like you will just be worshiping Jesus and serving Jesus one day and then all of a sudden denying him and smoking crack in the alley the next, right? Like, that is not what typically happens. That's not what's probably going to happen to you. But no, it's like this nautical theme where the, the boat wasn't tied to the dock properly, and it slowly just begins to slip out of its moorings and float away gradually. And oftentimes, especially like if it's slow enough, okay, people on board this boat, they might not even know it's drifting. Everything still seems kind of normal on the boat, right? Life seems still kind of the same until finally you look out the window and you see that you've gone a little ways away from the dock. But slowly and surely, the drift happens. And so it just happens, you know, in this slow, gradual way. Um, We just go maybe, like, another week um, without actually having open revivals at all. And then a week maybe turns into... month or two and then we look back on our year and we realize that we really haven't spent much time in God's word at all. Or it's just a few times where you know, we had like a really great structure of prayer in our life and and practicing spiritual disciplines and then it just kind of slowly got old and we slowly kind of got bored with it. It just didn't feel like it was doing anything and so we just slowly prayed less and less and less until we take a step back and we realize oh, how often are we actually in conversation? or after, you know, a few weeks of, you know, really busy weekends or a lot going on, and we just have all these events that are on the, on the weekends, and so we miss church after, for a really long time, and then we're thinking, well, it's okay, I'll be able to go back, um, in a few weeks, and then often what happens is, okay, well, now the week when we have actually cleared our schedule, time that I make something else a priority over other things is when, okay, now that week that I feel like that's when I'm going to get things done, that's when I'll get sick, right? And now it's like, okay, well, my genius plan didn't work. Now it's another two weeks. And now you have this huge stretch where you realize, oh, I haven't seen any of my church family in a long time. Or then, oh, I really feel like I don't even know those people. And slowly we drift out of relationship and out of community. And before too long, we start to think, oh, it's not really that big of a deal that I don't have that many close friends who are in my life and and spurring me on to follow Christ. And the drift happens just through kind of a complacent attitude of, well, this is okay, this is okay, and slowly drifting away. And when you couple this with the idea of neglect that we see in verse 3 here, um, the author's pointing out that this is this gradual unthinking slipping away from faith. This isn't like when someone just decides, I'm going to throw this out the window one day. It's this unintentional result of neglect in a relationship right? Neglect in a relationship. Because if we put no effort whatsoever into a relationship, what tends to happen? It deteriorates. We just kind of fall out of friendship. We slowly just kind of drift away. And we've heard the, the cliche along that, you know, following Jesus is about relationship, not religion, right? Heard that, and that's great. But what we do also have to recognize with that is while sometimes people will use that statement to excuse the drift, really, you know, religions are easy and relationships are a lot harder. Um, And so this, if anything, should wake us up to the reality that we have to pay closer attention to Christ. Because religions are pretty easy, right? You can show up once a week, um, you can pray the prayer, um, give the sacrifice, do the ritual, and you're good for another week. Relationships are quite a bit more difficult, you know? It's like my relationship with my wife. Um, We have actually been together our entire adult life since we were 18 years old. And so I don't really get, like, should I actually have to continue to get to know her? Like, I pretty much know everything about her, right? I don't, Judy, what do you mean? But we've been together, like, our whole adult life, and she still, like, wants me to spend time with her, and she still wants me to, like, get to know her. Is that not silly? No? Is that a horrible thing to say? Yeah, it's like, so messed up. It's kind of funny. But that's how relationships work. You have to continually spend time together. Or, you know, to lean into that, you know, if we take that approach of, like, fitting all the requirements of a religion, you do the ritual, you pay the tithe, you do this. You know, if I make Lena mad one day, um, can't I just buy her new earrings and she can just forget about it, right? Here you go. We're cool now, right? It doesn't really work like that, right? Because relationships um, require effort. They require this consistency time, they're difficult. And it's the same with the Lord. It's this relationship that we are continually spending time with Him, getting to know Him, learning about Him, allowing Him to get to know us, so to speak, or opening ourselves up to Him to continue to lean into that metaphor. And this idea of drift often comes from this apathy, from this neglect, from this complacency. Now, C.S. Lewis once said that the most common path to hell is the gradual one. Gradual one. It's this complacent, apathetic approach to Jesus and to the gospel. And what we have to remember, and what the author of Hebrews is reminding us here, is that we have this responsibility. We have this call to pay closer attention to Him. And as Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he instructed him to train himself or train yourself for godliness, to put effort into this. Don't let this slow, apathetic drift come about in your life. So that's kind of the first definition. It's this apathy, this complacency, just lack of attention to our faith, to the person of Christ. Now that we all feel bad about ourselves, let's move to the next one, right? (laughs) Honestly, like this has been a really challenging thing for me to, to read through this and be like, wow, this is like really convicting. But I don't think, like, the guilt and the shame is what the author of Hebrews and what God is calling out of us at this moment. This isn't just so that we feel bad about ourselves and so, oh, I'm not trying hard enough. This is a wake-up call. This is an opportunity for us to remember, that's right, we have this call on our lives. We have this opportunity to pay closer attention to Christ. It's not the easiest message to receive and not the easiest passage to read, but this is a great reminder. That's right, we can pay closer attention So second definition here, um, if we lean into this metaphor of drifting, is to drift is to deviate from a set course. To deviate from a set course. And so this is what I would really consider to be like compromise or idolatry. This is the kind of drifting um, that we hear Jesus talking about in Matthew chapter 6. When in a conversation about money, um, Jesus is saying that no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. And this doesn't work only with money. Um, the reality is that, just like we talked about last week, we just have this tendency um, to make created things idols or to give them the worship and the attention and the love that only the Creator deserves, right? That we are always drawn to these things, these idols. And it's actually when we're drawn towards these things that this compromise takes place, this this idolatry can cause us to deviate from a set course. It's like if you've ever tried to swim or paddle across a river or like when Lena and I try to cross that bay, if you were to just go in a straight line and try to cross it, the turret and the tide will slowly cause you to drift off of your destination. And so if you're trying to reach one spot, oftentimes the drift will cause you to end up at another. And this is what idols, this is what these compromising things will do to us. They just drag us off course slightly. When we are following Christ and paying close attention to him, and then our eyes just get fixed on a few other things or our hearts are pulled in another direction where, um, you know, maybe just for this season, that's the most important thing. And So yeah, Jesus is really important, but like, you know, just for the next few months, I really need to focus on this. And I have... Really struggle with this at various points in my life, especially like for some of you who are in college right now. Or when I was, you know, finishing up in grad school, I was working two part time jobs, one of which was ministry, so it's like part time, we know what that means. And then I was also in school full time. And so I just decided, well, you know what, just for this season, I'm not going to be in any small groups, not going to be in any Bible studies because I'm also like studying the Bible in class, so I don't need that. And I pretty much had pulled myself out of community and excused it because I was doing all these other good things and you know, I'll come back uh, and really lean into community and really lean into fellowship later, but like right now, really what I need to focus on is making chickens at Costco, making money and getting good grades and so that's what I'm going to do. And what happens is the drift in those times. When these other things have become the most important thing, Jesus is still second, but when something else takes that place in our heart the drift can happen now a great example of this from scripture is of course king solomon um, you know it's fascinating if you study the kings of israel you'll find that just about all of them um, started out really good started out really well and then just about all of them ended pretty horribly <laughs> ended pretty poorly um, this happens all the time and so in first kings chapter three he's talking about king solomon this great guy and Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given to him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. Awkward. Just one little, uh, one little problem there. Just a little idolatry on the side, you know. He was great, except that one little thing. Uh, but in general, um, he walked with the Lord, and he gave, you know, the Lord gave Solomon supernatural wisdom. But Solomon compromised in a lot of ways. As his life went on, there were other things that caught his eye, and they caused a bit of a drift in his life. And one of the compromises that Solomon had um, was that he ended up being married to quite a few foreign wives. Uh, It was a rule for the kings of Israel that they were not allowed to marry foreign women or women from pagan nations who were worshiping pagan gods. But Solomon did. Most scholars point out that this wasn't simply out of lust though that definitely was a factor. Um, but it was actually more of a political move for Solomon to marry all these ladies, right? That this was actually a pretty good way to gain political power or to really establish Israel's place in that region. Because after a while, Solomon was married to all of the daughters of the kings in his whole area, and he was taking care of them, and they were living in his palace. And it started with the princess of Egypt, which Israel probably needed some better relationships with Egypt. They had kind of a a checkered past, but it didn't end with just a relationship with the princess of Egypt. Eventually, he would have 2,000 wives. 2,000. I'm sure he didn't even know any of them. Um, He'd just walk by and be like, sorry, who are you? Oh, you don't even speak my language. Who's your dad? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Make sure that we keep a good relationship um, with them. Make sure that things politically are moving in the right direction." And he probably started out thinking, like, this is a great plan. He probably had good intentions with it. He was thinking, this is going to be a way that I can protect God's people. But eventually, what happened, right? This, this drift, this compromise led in a different direction. And eventually, Solomon, who had started out so strong, would end up worshiping these other gods and would end up betraying God in so many ways, would end up worshiping all these foreign gods that had come in his life had really deviated from the place he started. And this compromise drift is real, and it's hard. We have to be aware of it in our own hearts and lives that there are these things, these idols, these created things that we will turn to that will cause us to just drift off a little bit. It's not huge. Sometimes we think, it's okay, it's just a few degrees off, but a few degrees after a long time can result in a big difference. This compromise drift is real. Um, The third kind of drift I would call um, just going with the flow, Um, giving in to the current. This is another way that drift happens. Um, The thinking that fighting the current is just too hard, it's much easier, much better, Um, it's really more practical to just go with the flow. Um, And this is something that I always would tease Lena about when we're trying to cross the bay, is a lot of the times, Lena just wanted to enjoy being out on the water, enjoy being on the bay. She's like, well, can't we just sit and just float and look at the birds and look at the seals and look at everything? And meanwhile, I'm, like, paddling as hard as I can. Water's, like, splashing over the kayak onto her. She's like, can't we just sit and float? But I hated sitting and floating because what happens after you float too far away from where you're trying to get to is now it's twice as much work to actually get to where you want to go because uh, we took an hour off and floated, like, a few hundred yards in that direction. Now we're going to have to turn around and work super hard to go the other way. And so this is the temptation to think, you know, it's really just easier to go with the flow. It's a lot more fun. And the book of Hebrews, as we talked about before, it's, it's very different from a lot of the New Testament books. Um, a lot of the New Testament books written by um, Paul, Peter, John, or those guys are letters. Um, they're addressed to a certain people. Hello, you people. It's me, so-and-so, and I'm writing to you about this. Um, the book of Hebrews is different. Um, and most scholars say it's written more like a sermon, more like a teaching. It's this big exhortation To these people in the first century who were living in Italy, and they were having a really hard time following Jesus. Um, They were Jewish Christians who had recently converted, and when they converted, their life basically got worse. Um, Their life got really hard because of following Jesus. They were facing severe economic and social persecution. And they were saying, Well, you know what? Our life just got a lot worse from following Jesus. Uh, Maybe we should just go back to becoming a Jew. We can just go back to Judaism. We could just go with the flow. We might be drifting away. That's going to be easier anyway. And so the, this sermon of Hebrews is the preacher instructing these people, don't leave Jesus or don't go back to that. Don't just go with the flow. And I think if you could give like the book of Hebrews an overall title and theme, it's don't leave Jesus. Don't leave him. Don't quit. Don't jump ship. Go back to it. And it's over and over again. You're going to see all these instruction, instructions of don't just go with the flow. Don't just give up. And it gets into all these reasons why Jesus is worth it, why Jesus is so much better, why there isn't a, another viable option aside from following Jesus. And he gives us the rationale in verse 3 here. The reason we need to pay closer attention, I mean, the reason you can't just give in the current, is how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How shall we escape? You see, the author or the writer of Hebrews was talking to these people who were tempted to to jump ship. It had become really difficult, become really hard. But he's saying, you know, I know you think this is hard, and I know some of you have drifted away quite a ways, but don't quit. Don't leave Jesus. Don't jump ship. And especially if you lean into that nautical metaphor again, if, okay, if you have drifted a long ways away, and if the seas are rough, Of course, when you're in a boat that is in a storm, the one thing you're thinking is, I just want off this boat. I want to get out of here. I want nothing more than to get off this boat. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is that if you think it's hard to ride out this storm on this boat, imagine swimming. You you wouldn't make it. Um, If you're on a boat and scared of the storm there, well, you're not going to be able to swim out on your own either. There is no escape, the author of Hebrews is saying. To jump ship, to quit, to just go with the flow would have serious consequences. You can't jump out. How else will you escape? How else will you escape? And it's, it's kind of a hard warning and kind of hard message because we recognize like, oh, this is like using fear to motivate. We know that fear doesn't motivate always in the right direction. But when we're careening towards an edge or when we are getting ourselves into a place where it's possible that we could drown... This fear, this wake-up call from the author of Hebrews is what we need um, to be aware, uh, to wake up, to prevent something even worse because the drift is bad enough, but it's what the drift could lead to. that We're most afraid. And the, the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, this is a serious thing. I care about you guys. I love you guys. Pay attention. There's no other way to escape if you quit, if you leave Jesus here. That's what he's saying here. There's no other way to escape through faith in Christ. He really leans into what the consequences of that could be. But he also says, pay closer attention, one, because of those consequences, but also because the quality of the message is good anyway. And now he gets into the encouragement that, hey, I know this is hard and it's tempting to leave and to go back to these other things and to go back to Judaism, but he's reminding them that this message is It's reliable. It's actually worth your complete attention. It's worth hanging on to and closer examination. And he goes on in that same little section. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation? For it was declared first by the Lord, and then it was attested to by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So here he's reminding them, well, this message is reliable anyway. You can hang on to this because just how good it is. And he starts out with comparing it to the law, essentially, or to the Ten Commandments that they had received at Sinai. Um, And this is something that you'll see also in the first chapter of Hebrews where we know that the law was given through the angels. And for a lot of us, we're thinking, was. I didn't actually know that. That didn't seem like common knowledge, author of Hebrews. Um, but if you were to ask a Jewish person, person what their most defining moment was, um, most likely they would answer, Sinai, when they got the Ten Commandments, right? That was the most defining moment. That was the moment that God spoke to them, that God entered into a covenant with them and said, I'm your God and you're my people, and then gave them the law. And what had happened um, by the time you get to the first century? is that through all the intertestamental writings and through a lot of the rabbinical teachings in places like the Mishnah, it had been come to believe and kind of common thought that at Sinai, that message was actually declared by angels, that there were angels there speaking to the people and giving the law here, that God's presence was really mediated by these angels. And so this was their most defining moment, and they're like, yeah, it was given by angels, and that's our evidence that God spoke to us, and that we entered into this covenant with him. And so the author of Hebrews is really saying like, well, if you remember the evidence for why you hold to this, remember that's still true about Christ here. And not just angels gave this message, but also it was given by Jesus himself. He said it was declared at first by the Lord, that Jesus himself wasn't just a voice coming off a mountain, he was a living, moving, breathing, dying, and then living again, person. And he was someone that many of you had seen firsthand, or you know people who knew him firsthand. That Jesus is pretty good evidence just by the virtue of him being alive. And as we talked about for nine weeks when we were in the I Am series, we know that Jesus went around over and over and over saying, all of these things, declaring himself to be God. He was saying, you know, things like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he said, I and the Father are one. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one can come to the Father except me. And he made all these statements, reminding them that I am the way to God, that I am God, God in the flesh. And so the author of Hebrews is saying here, you can trust this message because it was declared by Jesus, because of all that he did of all that he said, because of who he was. And then he also goes on, right after that, and he says it was attested to by those who heard. So there were also witnesses. There were firsthand eyewitnesses to this as well. Um, and they didn't soften the message. They didn't kind of remove a lot of the uncomfortable things to try to push an agenda. Um, they actually just gave the straight-up, honest eyewitness account. And you know, it's fascinating when you read through um, the scriptures, and especially through the gospels, you see these eyewitnesses, and you see these accounts that really like don't seem like the best things to report um, when it comes to like giving a really convincing message, or really telling a story that you want people to believe. Um, If they were just making up stories, they didn't really do a very good job, did they? Right? A lot of the details don't make sense and actually seem to be like counterintuitive of what they would include, like women being the first to find Jesus at the empty tomb, right? This whole faith that we have built on this Lord who was resurrected, and then the Gospels record the detail as, oh yeah, the first people who reported it um, were women who were not actually even allowed to testify in court back then because basically their witnessing didn't matter to anyone. And their testimony um, wasn't very strong. And so this seemed to kind of undermine the message, but nonetheless, the gospel writers just say, this is what happened. This is what happened. It might not look good on the surface, but these are the true events that happened. Or, you know, if you're going to start a religious movement around, you know, a group of about a dozen leaders, you probably want, like, really charismatic, strong, great leaders. Uh, We have the disciples who, when you read through the gospel stories aren't necessarily like the best and the most solid people um, to build a movement around. As you read through the Gospels, oftentimes they're constantly kind of just depicted as being petty and jealous. They're always kind of arguing with one another. Um, they seem to just be really, really slow and not able to understand a lot over and over. It doesn't seem like the guys that you would like build a religious movement around. The leader of the pack, Peter, right, we talked about it a few weeks ago, is portrayed as having denied Jesus three times. Here's the leader; he had a really hard time believing this actually denied Jesus three times. The uh, historian Richard Bauckham, um, who I use a lot, he wrote this he, about that. He said that no one would have dared to recount what Peter said and did unless Peter himself was the source and authorized it, right? Unless Peter um, was the one who said, "Like, yeah, that doesn't make me look very good, but it's true. That's what happened. That is the truth." And so you see, if, if in the Gospels um, they were trying to start a fake religious movement around all these stories, you don't usually build it on the testimony of women. Um, that legally doesn't count at the time. And you don't usually build it on these guys that seem to just fail over and over again. And you don't especially build it around a leader who was crucified and died, right? Because at that point it looks like, well, Rome won and uh, Jesus didn't. But nonetheless, the author of Hebrews is pointing out here, we have these eyewitness reports who just reported the facts and a reliable message, even though it didn't look great, because that is what happened. That is what happened. These details that we read about in the gospel are from these eyewitness reports, the real things that took place. And they preserved it, and it's amazing. So pay closer attention to this. And the author of Hebrews wants to push us further still, right? Right? Pay closer attention also because this message that we received, it's also not just ink on a page, right? And he goes on in verse 4 to say that God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So what he's saying here is you don't just have those stories and you don't just have this intellectual knowledge, but actually, again, you have this relationship with a living Lord right you have the Holy Spirit given to you with you in you and so you don't just have to rely on those things you guys have experienced some of these things and he's reminding the Hebrews of probably some of the miracles that had taken place in their own midst some of the things that God had done some of the evidence where God had really shown up and they had these powerful experiences and after a while those powerful experiences they wane right you're like well I don't know maybe that was something else and he's reminding them of these experiences that they had, where, where pain, where sickness was healed, where God showed up in powerful ways in their midst. So he's pointing out all these, these experiences that they had had as well. So he reminds them the reliability of the scriptures. This is, this is an important message, and it was, it was recorded accurately, and Jesus himself lived it out. And you know some of the people who saw it, and you have the the message from them and the witnesses and the tradition of them, and then you guys have experienced these things yourself. You have experienced the presence of God in your own life, and you have seen things that you know was God active and living and working. And he's reminding them that you can pay closer attention, that you cannot give up because of all of this. And most people will outline this as... um, basically the evidence of faith that you will see all throughout the New Testament, that whenever there's the instruction of, or the, the encouragement of why you can have faith, these are kind of the three main components. It's the scriptures, the tradition, or witnesses, so to speak, and then experience, right? And when it comes to, to building faith, um, the three main pieces of evidence that we have is this. The scriptures, the witnesses, or the tradition, right? The, the humans that experienced these things, that recorded this for us, And then the experience ourselves and the experience in our own life, the things that we ourselves have seen and heard. And so when it comes to paying closer attention to the gospel, the author of Hebrews is saying, pay attention to these things. Pay attention to these things that you can build your life on, that you can hang on to to avoid the drift, that you can move in the direction of instead of the direction that the world is trying to send us. that we can pay attention to the scriptures, to the evidence for them. Um, I don't know if you have done much study or if you have looked into it much, but just the reality of how well the scriptures have been preserved is amazing. And it's encouraging and it fills me with faith to see how Jesus' followers 2,000 years ago were able to record these things and it's been so well preserved and we can rely on them. And then when it comes to tradition and witnesses, um, we can recognize that there's been 2,000 years of people following Jesus by now. Lots of people have done this. Lots of people have been through a lot that I will probably go through or a lot that I hope I never go through. But yet these people still held the faith. These people still fought the drift. These people still drifted a long ways off course and then through the grace of God were brought back. And so we have these, these stories. We have community around us of people who have experienced these things, of of people who know how to walk with Jesus when when the tide seems to be going against us. People who have followed him, facing things that that we think ah, we could never face. And so we can learn from them. We can learn from these witnesses, from the the tradition, from the community of believers. And then there is, of course, that that third one there that he points to, that God has borne witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according, distributed according to his will. And this last thing that we're able to pay closer attention to, it's the work of God in our own lives, in and through us, of actually paying attention um, to the things that are clearly the works of God. Some of those gifts that he has given each and every one of us, we cannot take credit for Um, some of the works that he's done among us that that you know okay well he led and directed or he did this amazing thing um, i'm just gonna forget about it drift on by the author of hebrews is saying pay attention to those things pay attention to the works of god in your life pay attention to the things that you're praying for Um, ask god to do these things ask god to do these things to, to show up in real and powerful ways Ask God to show up in real and powerful ways and to give you these experiences or even just to make you aware of all the ways that he is working. Um, Because I know that so often God is at work in and amongst us all the time. But we don't always pay attention or we don't always see it or we just like to explain it away or forget about it or act like it's not a big deal. But paying closer attention to the gospel, to who Jesus is, really just starts with being more aware. of What is he doing in how am I really giving him opportunities to work in and through me? Each and every one of us has unique giftings, abilities, talents. Um, We have a unique social circle with our family and friends and the different places God has placed us and the work that he has prepared for us. And when you lean into that work and when you keep in step with the Spirit and what he is wanting to do in and through you, that is when these experiences come, when you recognize the power of God at work in my those are the experiences that we can hang to when the drift really starts to happen and so pay closer attention to the gospel many of you might be close and i would encourage you that you can be closer still you can be closer to christ or some of you in this room might really feel like maybe you have drifted uh, a little further away than where you thought you were Um, life just got busy you were just looking down and then before you know it you look up and realize wow Jesus is a little ways away from you. Would you just pay closer attention to the gospel? here? That's that's the simple call. Just focus on the person of Christ. That is the way to be back, to be closer to him. Pay closer attention to who he is and what he has done for you. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Well, Father God, we just thank you um, for this wake-up call here, for reminding us of our tendencies um, to drift and, and float away from you, um, that the tide of this world um, is not moving us in your direction, God, but that we have an enemy who wants to pull us away from you and in a different direction. And, and God, that we, we are called to tend to the fire of our faith, um, God, we just thank you for the times in which we can just sit back and feel your warmth, but God, we do recognize that you've given us a responsibility as well. You've invited us into a relationship with you um, to be your followers. And so, Jesus, we just thank you um, for speaking to us through the words of Hebrews here, reminding us that the drift is real, um, but that the instruction is simple to pay closer attention to you. And Jesus, we just recognize that this isn't something that we can do on our own that we need the empowering of your spirit to remind us throughout the day of who you are and what you've done, of how we can just focus on you, of how we can just be enamored with love for you, of how we can be aware of the things that might pull us in another direction and lead to compromise, but, but to be placing you at the top in our heart and mind, to remember that you're in a category all your own. And God, I just pray that you would continue to solidify um, in all of our hearts and minds um, just a a confidence in your word, a confidence in your word that comes from just knowing how reliable this message is. Would you continue to bring people into our lives um, who speak into us and speak into our faith in ways that you are using to build us up? And God, we just ask for continued experiences with you. We know that you are living and active and that you have invited us to partner with you in bringing bringing your message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so God, would you just continue to call us out on how we can do that, how we can be a part of that, to see the amazing power of your gospel at work. And so Jesus, we just turn to you in worship now. We make you the focus of our hearts and minds and, and bodies we know that in this very act of just worshiping you, that you are shaping us to be more like yourself. That this act today has fought this drift that we've been warned about. And so we just thank you for the work that you've been doing. And it's in your name that we pray. as you go, would you go with the words of Romans chapter 8? For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So grace and peace, common ground. Have a wonderful week.